Hello and a warm welcome back to Footprints. And in this wonderful month of June, we're celebrating trees. There are two nature-inspired festivals happening in Bath this month and we'll bring you news of both of them. We'll hear about the Forest of Imagination taking this year the Assembly Rooms as its inspiration. And we'll also explore the Festival of Nature, which in its 20th year is including some special tree walks. Jo McSorley joins us from the National Trust in Prior Park Landscape Gardens and shares some of his considerable wealth of knowledge around trees. And we'll find out about a new urban tree trail with Hugh Williamson. So if trees are your thing, then this is definitely your episode. One of Bath's annual events is Forest of Imagination and Dr Penny Hay is its director. We'll hear from her in a minute, but let's start with Andrew Grant. Now, along with Penny, he founded the Forest of Imagination, but he also happens to be the chair of the Bathscape Landscape Partnership. I started by asking him to tell us exactly what Forest of Imagination is. So Forest of Imagination is a project that Penny and I started over 10 years ago, and with the whole idea of engaging people of, of Bath with stories about the environment, but in a creative way. Just linking the creativity of the city with the ecology of the city. Okay, so it's a festival around nature, would you say that? Nature is is a fundamental part of it, but the key thing is to sort of engage as many people in the city, visitors, children, families, all, all ages, with fun things to do and to sort of get people to think differently about different parts of the city. You know, every year we've moved to a different location and uh, trying to transform it through showing what we can do with environmental sort of themes and stories and and get people to think differently about what they feel about Bath, but also what they feel about the, the wider world. What kinds of things have come out of it in the past then? What sort of projects or activities or campaigns? Well, I mean, uh, a few years ago, the Forest of Imagination was based in the Abbey and around the Abbey. And we we themed the story around Madagascar to a certain extent, because we were really interested in how do we get people at Bath to think about somewhere else in the world. And so there's a series of installations. There was enormous, great inflatable baobab trees installed in front of the Abbey. Wow. We had We had enormous, great chameleon models hanging out of the tree in Abbey Green. And we invited people to, to to think about that. And the House of Fairy Tales, they they created this amazing immersive journey for, for for children and families to find the lemurs, which were hidden in the basement of the uh what is now the Toppings bookshop. Oh. <laughs> so, so it was, you know, that was a fun thing. And it was working with Bristol Zoo, who had a project in Madagascar, and subsequently, you know, we've got involved with helping them develop that as a field research station, which will be, you know, pioneering importance of research into blue-eyed black lemurs and the the, the species of that little particular part of, of Madagascar, which is one of the most biodiverse places on the planet. So from the projects that we engage with, we always like to think there's a sort of a, an outreach and we can, you know, start to, to create networks that not just around Bath, but also in different parts of the world. Okay, so this year, tell me what's happening this year. What can people expect? What's the theme to start with and where is it going to happen? 
So yes, the National Trust have invited us to take over the assembly rooms inside and out. So with Andrew and the team, we've co-designed and reimagined the spaces inside and out to really not only celebrate the historic nature of the assembly rooms, which is 250 years old, but also to think about the contemporary context and what that could be like in the future. So we're working with the RSA, for instance, to have a series of talks over the months that we're there to really think about the key themes in Forest of Imagination. The artists that we're working with, Maura Myerskoff, who is a celebrated royal designer for industry, amazing artist who will take over the entrance with a beautiful installation called Birdsong but really thinking about the themes of belonging and hope and hopeful futures. The overall title for this year's Forest Imagination is Assemble in the Forest. So we're just using the, the link to the assembly rooms as a place to gather and enjoy things, but think about things, compare notes on things, which historically that's what it was all about. And we thought it's an interesting way to think about the contemporary use of the assembly rooms is to let's bring a sort of focus and a conversation around, you know, Bath as a place, uh, our relationship with other parts of the world again. And, you know, there's a series of projects, exhibitions in the key rooms, in the ballroom. There's a big installation which will bring living grasses into a, a, a fun, immersive experience. We're creating a, an exhibit about the, the local beavers in the Grand Octagon. And in the tea room, we're going to have a, an exhibition which will focus on the work of Bathscape with a particular focus on trees and woodlands. And it's been distilled down to three aspects of, of trees in and around Bath. One is trees in the city and just looking about places like the Circus or Abbey Green and the age of those trees. Where did they start? What, what did they look like in different parts of their ages? Thinking about trees in the landscape, the fact that you know much of Bath's skyline has got trees on it. And thinking about the challenges, because it's, you know, trees through the history of Bath have, have changed the character of the landscape. You know, from the uh, 18th century, there was a mad sort of rush to try and create lots of evergreen plantations, which have now gone. More recently, you know, elm was was a really significant species in the landscape of Bath, but that was taken out by Dutch elm disease. And now we're challenged by ash dieback, where, you know, hundreds of mature ash trees have had to be felled over the last few years. And, and ultimately, probably 80% of ash in this country will be lost through, through that disease. So it's getting people to think about all those things, you know, the, the history, the identity, the, the challenges, but also how to get out and enjoy this amazing landscape we have. So there'll be an exhibition about walking in Bath and the different routes you can take uh, from the city centre out or the, the circuit of Bath, which goes all the way around the sort of perimeter of the city. So hopefully, you know, we're going to engage people in fun aspects of all those things. Tell me about anything that might be happening for children in particular. So, yes, uh, thanks to St John's Foundation and Bath Mind and also the Heritage Schools Programme, we've invited local schools to co-design an extraordinary forest. So they're co-designing trees alongside local artists working with them in schools. So... We've invited the children to think about if you were a tree, what would you be? If you could plant a tree to save the world uh, and that tree was you, what would you do? Then when the artist has worked with the children in the school, they will then be able to visit the forest and see their tree in situ. 
And then in the documentation space, we'll have ongoing tree making workshops and hopefully the forest will grow over the months. And by the end of the month, there'll be an exhibition of the, the children's learning that we'll then bring back to Museums Week in the, at the end of October in the assembly rooms. Well, that begs the question then, what tree would you both be? Um, my default is to be a be a baobab. A baobab. Tell me why. Because they they are the sort of centerpiece of some of the forests in in Madagascar, and they they have this amazing long lived presence in their landscapes and support you know lots of really interesting biodiversity. Thank you, Penny. What tree would you be? I think recently I've been doing a lot of walking along the river, and I think I would be a weeping willow. But in the sense of, you know, crying my tears of joy and happiness, but also of of um, grief into the river. So there's a kind of sense of nature being a healer and really thinking about our connectedness to nature and how it really supports our well-being. Thank you both. So lots for people to get involved in, to watch, to experience, to take part in. And I understand it's all free. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's a really important part of forest imagination. It's inclusive and available to everybody at no cost. Thank you both so much. And I wish you well with it. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing all about it in July when it's over. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Pommy. Thanks so much there to Andrew Grant and Penny Hay. And to find out more about what's happening when, head to the show notes, where there are links to the whole Forest of Imagination programme. Now, we heard Andrew talking there about the trees of the city forming part of Bathscape's exhibition in the assembly rooms. And I wanted to find out more about the latest urban tree trail. It's called Leafy Legacies. Welcome everybody. My name's Hugh Williamson. I'm a mayor's guide in Bath. I've lived in Bath for about seven years and um, Bath history has been my hobby for about two or three years and trees have been another little hobby for a lot longer than that. And so this is a lovely walk for me to do in terms of talking a bit about the trees we're going to see and a bit about the history of why they were planted, where they were planted and, and, and the places where they are. This is National Urban Tree Week and as part of the Urban Tree Festival, we thought, well, we'll do a tree walk. This is Bathscape. We've got four... Hello, Hugh. So, wow, that was a great walk. Thank you for that. Loads of people turned up. Beautiful day. And we saw the iconic trees of Bath. So the walk was called Leafy Legacies. Tell me how that came about. As Bathscape, part of our urban tree trails, we, last year, worked on several trails to the north of the city and to the south and in Twerton, leaving the central space sort of free. And then this year we decided, well, we need a trail which was originally called the Signature Trail that would go through the centre of the city. Last year also I had done a walk for the Mayor's Guides uh, called Discovering Bath's Trees, which took a similar route. So we picked 20 or so trees that wind their way through the centre of the city decided to change the name to Leafy Legacies which I guess reflects something to do with the the history of of Bath and the planting and the the different people associated with with the trees and what better way of inaugurating the trail than to hold a walk in the month of May which is probably the best month in which to hold a tree walk Uh, most of the leaves are out most of the flowers are out 
and uh, yeah, we got the we got the weather smiling on us as well. And tell me about some of the trees that we passed. You've named them as the iconic trees of Bath, so many of them have been here a very long time. So, probably the most well-known and the most noticed trees in Bath are the London Plains, which is, uh, those are the trees in the circus, also the trees in the middle of the square in Abbey Green and in Kingsmead Square, which we just passed. But there are plenty of other trees as well. In particular, we walked through Royal Victoria Park, or part of it, which was England's first municipal park, planted in 1830, and planted uh, carefully to include many of the then-known tree and plant species from both Britain and abroad, and therefore there are an enormous variety of trees and uh, mature trees now in Victoria Park, some of which are from the original planting and therefore we know are nearly 200 years old. I think the amongst the ones I would pick out were a, a tree called a Kentucky coffee tree from America, which has wonderfully large leaves. It's an original tree and it may not last too much longer, so um, go and visit it if you get the chance. And another one, equally as old, much, much smaller, hybrid strawberry tree. And it's sitting at the bottom of a little glade and it's got wonderfully deep, red, smooth bark. The tree's only about nine or ten inches across in terms of diameter, but it is uh, nearly 200 years old, still putting on a good show and really quite a surprising thing to, to happen across if you're walking around the park. You mentioned the London Plains up in the circus, of which there are five, and you speculated there might have been eight. But you talked about the fact they're a cross, they're an intercontinental cross. Tell me a little bit more about that. That's right. Sounds grand, doesn't it? Intercontinental cross. Well, what that means is that the London Plain is a hybrid between two tree species, natural tree species, that came from different continents the Oriental Plain, what was known in Britain just as the plane tree, right up until uh, the 17th or 18th century, was quite well known in Britain. But the, the Western Plain, or the Occidental Plain, comes from America and was imported into Europe not long after uh, America was discovered by the Europeans anyway. And a cross between the two trees occurred, well, it must have occurred somewhere where both trees can flower and are fertile, which probably rules out Britain. The name of it is Platanus Hispanica, hence now looking towards southern France or Spain as being the place where these two trees from two different continents were crossed, one fertilised the other, and the, the result, the London Plain, by pure chance, turned out to be very fast-growing and very happy in polluted atmospheres, in growing in cities and therefore it was, it was planted by the Georgians and by the Victorians almost exclusively in big cities which were very much polluted at the time and from where it got the name. The name London Plain didn't arise until about 1900 when botanists realised what it was and realised it needed. It wasn't the same thing as the, as the Oriental Plain. It needed a new name and therefore seeing as how it so loved the cities, it acquired the name London Plain. And we finished off above Parade Gardens 
between two trees, which I was astonished to find out were pear trees. Tell me about them. Ah, they are pear trees, but they're not, they're not the common pear. One of the problems with the common pear is that it would drop pears on your head and people would slip on them and sue the councils. And these trees, if, it, if they produce any pears at all, they'll be tiny little things, no bigger than, than cherries. I think they're probably the particular variety that we were looking at is called a calorie pear. It, a couple of experts that I've spoken to have, have sort of nodded sagely and says, yes, that's what they think they are. But I was deliberately vague when I called them pear because I'm not 100% convinced. They're only small trees, but as I mentioned on the walk, uh, yesterday I saw a photo which is about 90 years old, which shows them in the same place and in good health. So they're obviously quite long-lived and relatively happy, even though it's not obvious what they're growing on, because they're growing about 30 feet above the natural ground level uh, in the middle of a cantilevered pavement, cantilevered over the road. But hey-ho, they're happy and they've been there for nearly 100 years, so uh, we must enjoy them. And... Hugh, what's the oldest tree in Bath? Do we know? So, I think the oldest one of which we can really trace back and see its development, there's a, a Judas tree on Holloway, planted very close to Mary Magdalene Church, which is, was big 200 years ago. There's, a, there's an, a, a watercolour of it, I think, painted in the 1820s, showing it as, as large as it is now. I traced it back a little bit further, found a panorama of Bath, I think dated in the 1730s, where it appears there's a building rather than a tree uh, in that place, which suggests that it's less than 300 years old. But it's an old tree, they're known to grow old, and it's been, it's been noted as a, a landmark and a, a remarkable tree for at least 200 years. Um, perhaps I'll just mention one other, and that is there's a little, a little bit outside Bath in a uh, little village called Charlecombe, probably best known for the fact that Jane Austen um, took a walk there and, and wrote about it in her letters to her sister. But there's a little village called Charlecombe with a, an old yew in the churchyard, which was, again, a famous old uh, venerable tree 200 years ago. It hasn't grown a great deal since then, it's probably older than the Judas tree. It's probably four or five hundred years old, and it's worth a little visit, as is Chalcombe, lovely little place. Chalcombe also appeared in our last episode because of its toad patrol that happens every February. It does, and I, I follow the toad patrol on, on Twitter. I actually have a pond in my garden which has toads, lots of toads in every year, as well as smooth newts. So, I, yes, I follow the toad patrol with great interest. And a few yards away from the yew tree, there's a holy well. Chalcombe is possibly the site of a church or chapel that predates the, the Benedictine settlement that became Bath Abbey and, and therefore is possibly the site of the mother church for the whole of Bath. So it's got some, it's got some history wrapped up in that place. Hugh, tell me about yourself. How come you're a tree enthusiast? Well, I think my real interest in trees, I mean, I guess I was always brought up to have a certain interest in nature, but I think my real interest in trees started around the turn of the century. My career was in oil and gas. And, as is natural for somebody with a career in oil and gas, I lived in Aberdeen for 11 years, because that's where it was happening. Now, Aberdeen's a very fine place, 
but there aren't many, many trees, or at least the trees that there are. Um, there isn't as, as much a variety of trees, and uh, they're not as prominent in the, in the countryside. So when I came back down to the outskirts of London, I worked in southwest London, I moved down in 99, I was absolutely gobsmacked by the fantastic variety of and magnificence of the of the trees in the south of England where I come from and from that date I started I live within a few miles of Kew Gardens I started visiting there I looked at all the labels I found out about which trees were which I cycled around looking at the great trees of London seeing how many I could find and, and cycle between them so I think it was something to do with moving from the north of Scotland to the south of England and suddenly realising just how much uh, trees could add to the landscape, which, uh, which sparked my interest. Thank you so much, Hugh, for both the walk and for talking to me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, another major event in the calendar is the Festival of Nature. Organised by the Natural History Consortium, it spans the whole of Bristol and the whole of Bath and I caught up with its director, Savita Wilmot, to find out more. It's our 20th anniversary, which is pretty incredible. And actually, the festival has changed and grown massively over 20 years. But in many ways, it's still the same. It's really all about raising awareness of nature, green spaces, blue spaces, and what people can do to help and support nature. So the two things we try to do are, are to celebrate and also to give people some really tangible actions that they can take away, do, do during the festival, but also when they go home. And there's lots happening in Bath. Give us a little picture of what's happening for our listeners in Bath. Yeah, so we have um, a 10-day programme this year. It runs from the 9th of June to the 18th of June. And we kick off our week in Bath with a bat walk. We have our very first family nature party on the first weekend in Bath. This is going to be, like it says on the tin, a massive nature party. We're really aiming it at our youngest festival visitors, um, our under 10s. It's all free. It's all drop-in. Nature at Night is one of our most popular events with really a chance to find out a bit more about what's happening in Bath after dark, whether that's bats, mammals, owls, moths. No expertise needed. This is a really lovely summer evening to come out, meet other people from the region and, you know, just spend the evening outside. We're going to kick off at 9 o'clock. It goes until 11, but you don't have to stay the whole time if that's a bit late for you. We use Percy Community Centre as a base. So within the centre, there'll be some short talks, meet some experts, really get to grips with some techniques for looking for wildlife. And then we'll go out to Green Park. Exciting. We're doing quite a bit with trees in this year's programme. Our kind of main themes, I'd say, this year are trees, pollinators and water. Um, and all three of those themes are really going to come into our bath programme. You've got a workshop on the 9th of June called Discover How to Identify Native Trees. Tell me about that. Yeah, so a lot of the work that we do as a charity often includes uh, surveying, identification, getting out and noticing nature all around you. So this is a really fantastic workshop. We're working with um, more trees, Baines, who are going to be running this really friendly opportunity. You know, even if you don't come away as an expert, I think there's just something quite magical about walking around quite slowly and having a proper look at a tree. You know, how are the 
branches formed, what do the leaves look like? Um, and it's always really satisfying to pick up some of the some of the names of the species and, and learn about some of the trees. Um, so this workshop is specifically targeted on native trees, and uh, that's open for booking now. Okay. It's not only events that people have to go to. There are some online, and you've got one called The Language of Trees with Katie Holson. Tell me about that. Yeah, we were really surprised after COVID-19. There's still a great appetite for online events. So we were really excited to welcome Katie Holton. She's an author and has just recently published this book, The Language of Trees. She's going to talk about some of the things that she found out about in this book, about you know how trees are communicating. It's a very beautiful book, and I think she's a really inspiring speaker. That event is completely free. It's on the 14th of June at 7 p.m. So maybe a nice one to listen to in the while you go for a walk or in the garden or maybe just uh, doing the washing up. Thank you so much, Savita. Just to remind us when it takes place. So Festival of Nature this year is 9th to 18th of June and all the details are on the website at festivalofnature.org.uk. Thank you so much. Finally, we have a real treat for you. Let's head off to Prior Park Landscape Gardens and meet a man who is a mine of information about trees. Here he is. I'm Joe McSorley. I'm the lead ranger for the National Trust in Bath, so I look after all of our countryside land around Bath. Lots of grassland meadows, but quite a lot of woodland, including some really nice ancient woodland. What are you showing me right now, Joe? Well, at the moment we're stood under a, an oak tree. It's a sessile oak, or an English oak. Tall, straight, probably over 100 feet tall. Really nice green canopy on it this time of year. Long, leafy branches. And the reason we're stood under it is that it's, it's sat in the corner of one of our storage yards. One of those trees you could easily walk past without noticing. But when you stop and look for a second, you realise it's quite tall, quite broad at the base, quite round probably getting on for 120, 130, 140 years old and a lovely tree and at the moment it's full of little birds feeding, lots of little long-tailed tits just looking for insects in amongst all the, the little nooks and crannies of the tree. So it's seen this century and the whole of the last century and I just parked underneath it without realising. Yeah, yeah, it's been around here for a long time and um, oak trees are quite well known for being full of life so I think there's more species of insects and fungi and invertebrates and ants and spiders on, um, on oak trees than there are on any other, um, any other trees in the UK which means that they provide a food source for lots of birds and lots of small mammals and lots of other things so really a, a living world all inside one tree. And 120 years is not very old for an oak, is it? But you have found an older oak recently, is that right? Yeah, we found an oak on a, a new piece of land called Bathampton Meadows that we've we've taken on fairly recently. It's a nice green corridor that leads from Bath Easton into the centre of Bath. We were surveying the site, having taken the land on, and we came across an old oak tree. We were absolutely gobsmacked by the size of the tree, absolutely huge, um, not obvious from the from the roadside. But when we got out in the middle of the field, we, we stood next to it and it, it it was taller and wider than we ever imagined. The tree was um, measured, um, and what you do with trees to measure them is you, you measure at one metre in height, which is around about chest height, measure the girth of the tree at that height, and that gives you a rough idea of the age. This tree was eight and a half metres in circumference, and for every metre, 
it's estimated that that tree has grown for 100 years. So eight and a half metres means that that tree's probably in the region of 850 years old. And that's probably just about as old as Bath Abbey. Oh, wow. That's really ancient then. Which reminds me, some trees are called ancient. Some trees are called veteran. Some trees are called champion trees. And some trees are notable trees. Do we know the difference and does it matter? Uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways of identifying trees. The ancient woodland, which is um, a term that's often used with, with woods, is a term that defines a woodland that's been in existence since at least 1600. So essentially, if you get somewhere that's called ancient woodland, uh, you might not find any trees that date back to 1600, but if you looked at the maps, you'd find that it's been mapped as woodland since 1600. Individual trees can be categorised in lots of different ways. So um, sometimes trees are called veteran, which means they're really old and they're shown signs of what's called veteranization. That can often mean with something like an oak tree, for example, that the branches are starting to um, lose any greenery on them, but they're still stuck to the tree. It can often mean that the tree's started to reduce in size and started to hollow itself out and that could be a veteran tree. Veteran trees can also be ancient trees, similar sort of definition, but essentially, yeah, it's, um, it's about value and the trees that are distinctive in our landscape and because of their size and because of their importance to the communities that surround them. Trees are important. Why are they important to us? Is it obvious? Well, there's, there's lots of things. There's, I mean, if you, you look at um, climate change, trees are great for sequestering carbon. So they, um, they store carbon in them and they, they clean the air in the process of doing that. They're great visually for people. So there's nothing like walking across a bit of a landscape and coming across a majestic tree with, you know, sort of wonderful size and scale. There's nothing like I'm walking around in the autumn months and looking at the colours. And it's not just what you see above the ground, is it? It's what's happening below the ground that's important as well. Yeah, trees trees have quite wide root systems and those root systems are often um, about as wide as the canopy of the tree. So if you look up into a tree and you can see how far the branches and the leaves extend under the ground, there's probably a similar network and probably a little bit further. So for example, when we fence around a veteran or an ancient tree, we usually go about five metres from the base of the tree to put the fence around so that livestock don't compress the soil or, or add too much nutrients to the soil around the base of the tree. Another interesting fact with trees is that the, um, the roots under the ground, if you imagine the root of a tree, everyone's probably seen some immersion above the ground. Um, they're quite thick, quite wide, um, and they're not particularly good at securing nutrients or moisture from the ground. So what they usually do, and most trees do this, is they partner with fungi under the ground. Fungi has a sort of really wide cotton woolish uh, mycelium, which feeds the, the fungi. And what that does is it, it soaks up moisture much more efficiently than tree roots can and exchanges them in a symbiotic relationship with the trees. So um, mushrooms grow in the dark, don't photosynthesize, so they get all of their energy from, from the trees that they associate with. And in return, they provide the tree with nutrient and moisture in a much more efficient way than the tree can do. In um, America, they did some... Uh, analysis on this where they would plant uh, a tree in soil full of fungal spores and they'd plant a tree in soil that had been sterilised and the trees that were associated with fungi grew about 100 times faster than the ones that didn't have any fungi associated with them. So really important to keep our ancient trees where they are with their networks underground in place. Yeah, yeah, is um they they're doing all sorts of things for us, and if you think of that whole biodiversity under the ground, you know that's a, a living system that's evolved over millions of years. So there's all sorts of um other benefits to the the quality of the soil and the composition of the soil under the ground. Tell me about mother trees. So 
with that whole fungal system under the ground, you have a network of uh, lots of little thin strands of fungal mycelium that go under the ground, um, and those can expand quite a long way. There's um, there's one fungi in on North American Canadian border which is something like 10 kilometres across, a single individual fungi, which works across 10 kilometres. It's believed to be the largest living organism in the world. Now, with tree roots and then 10 kilometres of networks of mycelium joining up all of those various trees within the area that that tree works, what you can do is you can exchange information between trees. So mother trees are where trees that are strong and sturdy and in a good position often will exchange messages through that fungal mycelium network under the ground and that can mean that nutrients get passed more efficiently around trees and often um, nutrients can be pushed towards trees that are smaller that need a bit more support and it's believed there's lots of little electrical impulses and signals and chemical signals going on underground where trees are communicating with each other and sharing nutrients within a family of trees and often the biggest tree is the one that some genetically produced all the other trees that are around it um, and that's why it's called the mother tree. Fascinating. Okay Joe, are we going to go anywhere? And we'll, see anything? We'll, we'll, we'll wander out here. I should say we're in Prior Park. We're just above the lower lake, which is looking beautiful in the sunshine. So we're coming into Prior Park, which is a landscape garden, and part of the whole landscaping idea that came around in the late 1600s, 1700s was that you created a landscape which was designed to be aesthetically pleasing and also to provide the sounds and the smells and the colours of nature. So here at Prapart we've got lots of mature trees, lots of beech, some big Norway maples, a lot of ornamental trees. Um, we've just come under a, a nice big ornamental cherry tree which was full of long-tailed tits, um, a little family feeding around the tree. And it, it, it feels like a woodland, but the species mix isn't the typical species mix you'd find in woodlands around Bath if the, the forest were to grow naturally. Um, but it has that whole dynamic element of a range of colours, a range of sizes, heights, structural layers within the trees. So some trees that are a good 200 feet tall and some trees that are only 15, 20 feet tall. I hadn't really appreciated how tall some of those trees are. I just assumed they were up a hill, but they're not, are they? No, no, um, they're, they're on a, a slight slope, but some of them are, are really tall trees. The tallest one's a big old Norway maple, which is believed to be about 250, 300 years old. And that's on a thing called the Ancient Tree Register. So in Britain, trees that are notable ancient because they're um, either um, special individuals or because they're just a very um, ancient tree go onto an ancient tree register which provides a little bit of extra protection for them. We're just coming round below the Palladium Bridge. We're going to get that fabulous view up the valley any minute. And the sound of running water. Obviously back in the 1700s if you were very wealthy you you didn't have a lot to spend your money on, so you, you couldn't buy Lamborghinis and uh, Ferraris or go on exotic holidays by, by first-class airline. So what you did is you, um, you bought up land and you turned it into pleasure gardens, um, often in sort of um, Greek style or Roman style. Um, and here the cascade connects the middle lake to the bottom lake, 
but it's more about the sound. So there's a there's a whole visual aspect to it because it looks pretty, but also they wanted to hear the sounds of nature, um, and it was deemed that that was part of the the whole pleasure of the garden was that you could enjoy the sounds, smells, and the visual aspects of it. So they were thinking of the whole the whole element of it. One thing they didn't think about was susurration. Which is, um, Tell me about that. Well, susurration is the, the language of trees. So what you find is every tree, once it's in leaf and it gets a bit of wind through it, has a different sound because of the composition of the branches and the twigs and the, the leaves. We've got quite a lot of poplar around Bath. Poplar was often grown for the matchstick industry because it's got a nice soft wood that's easy to chop into small, small pieces for matchsticks. But it has quite a loose leaf structure with leaves that sit on flexible twigs. And if you get any wind through a poplar tree, it has a very predictable sound almost like water cascading down a, a waterfall i can hear it in my head oh you mentioned that poplars were used to make matchsticks and that was in in and around bath are there any other trees that have been used in this area most of the woodland in britain has been managed often quite extensively over the years so when you look around the woodlands around Bath for example near Smolcombe Cemetery we have a little woodland called Smolcombe Wood and that woodland's a real mix of a variety of trees for example there's quite a lot of ash wood in that woodland and ash was often used for things like kitchen furniture for chairs and for um, the, the fronts of kitchen cabinets but it's often a really good firewood because it can be burnt when it's still relatively young doesn't have to be stored for several years oak obviously was often used in shipbuilding because of the tannins that we spoke about it's quite impaired permeable to water and actually when the British Navy was expanding in the 1600s, 1700s a lot of the oak trees were chopped down so we lost a lot of oak that was probably a couple of hundred years old but what were left were all the old ancient oaks that were hollow because they were no use for the shipbuilding industry so we have this gap in the in the landscape where we have some really old veteran trees but we don't have many that are three or four hundred years old because um, those were often felled for, for timber and then you get into things like um, there's a little tree called spindle which grows in our woodlands, often just solitary individuals. And obviously spindle would be used for sewing machines because it's a really hard, dense wood. So for parts for machinery where you needed a dense wood, you would use a, a tree called spindle. And then things like hazel, there's hazel all over the place, which was used for um, everything from basket work to fencing to fencing posts, a little bit of firewood. And you can start to see that evolution in the landscape where um, woodlands are full of a variety of trees. Almost every tree you look at will have a different kind of use. What's your favourite tree? Oh, um, well, being Scottish, Scots pine used to be the one I used to always say was my, my favourite tree, but I, I, I do quite like a birch tree. If you come across a silver birch, particularly a, a large one, and they don't get particularly large because they're um, a fast-growing tree that, that usually doesn't get much older than about 100 years old, but um, birch has got that lovely silver bark, and if you get one in, in summer or late summer, just turn into autumn, and you look up, they've got really small leaves, and the colour of the leaves changes, but not every leaf changes at the same time, so you get all those different colours all at once on the on the canopy of it. Uh, there's a type of painting from the, the Expressionist period where um, they would just do pointillism, and it's almost like that, where um, if you look at the colours, everything's a different colour, but it makes for a, a whole picture that's, that's wonderful. Oh, what a way to end. Thank you so much for showing me the trees of Prior Park. Yeah, thanks, Bommy. It's been a, a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me and I hope you'll find the time to get out and about and appreciate the wonderful trees we have in and around Bath. Just one more thing to tell you. The Forest of Avon Trust will be launching their public photo competition for veteran and ancient trees this month 
at both the Forest of Imagination and the Festival of Nature events. It's called The Trees of Our Lives and the Lives of Our Trees and it'll run through the remainder of this year and it covers all four West of England council areas. Don't forget, you can listen to all the previous episodes anytime you like and so please do share as widely as you can with friends, family and colleagues. And for more information on Bathscape, visit the website bathscape.co.uk. We're grateful to the National Lottery Heritage Fund and players of the National Lottery for supporting our work. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer, and I'll see you next month.